Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. I am your host, Paul Scott Chernitsky, and I am joined again this week by my co-host, the Reverend Dr. A.P. Straight. Hey, Anna. Hey, Paul Scott. How's your week going? It's going well. It's a short week with the Labor Day holiday, so things are a little... Um, condensed condensed it's uh thursday we just recorded the sermon and there was a lot it was a big sermon and i just there was all these little moments that i latched on to and we got to talk about some of them like for instance losing things moving yes yes i tell a story that about not being able to find utensils when we moved into our home in west virginia i don't do well when things are missing when thing when i lose things i just clean and get rid of other stuff which has led me to a life of simplicity, like I'm running out of things. I applaud that. I tend to make a huge mess and tear everything apart until I find the thing that I am looking for. I become fixated and cannot let it go. Uh, Apple's got your back. We have AirTags now. You can just put an AirTag <laughs> on everything. It gets a little confusing because you know why? Because you, I, I do this for my camera stuff and I label my bags with the AirTag. But then I get a new bag, and then I move this camera over here, and that camera over here. So now the AirTags are labeled wrong. So I do have like a camera label, but it doesn't match the AirTag. So I really don't know where my stuff is. It's not the big stuff. It's the little stuff. Like I, I lost part of a watch band the other day. And I knew I just had it a few minutes before, so I knew it was in the house. Um, but I just couldn't remember where I'd put it. And so I... Um, yeah, I, I, I cannot let it go. So the reason you brought up losing things, right, is because of the, the reading. We're, we're done with the summer sermon series. It has ceased. It has stopped. It has stopped, <laughs> seriously. And uh, we are back to the Revised Common Lectionary. We're in the Gospel Gospel of Luke. Of Luke. Mm-hmm. And what's the um, readings? What are they? Don't, don't, don't like ruin it. I won't, I won't ruin it, but it's it's from chapter 15, and it's actually the first two of a series of three parables that only are this way in the Bible in the Gospel of Luke. And he tells them differently. There's some similarities to some parables in Matthew, but Luke tells them differently. Ah, so it's like different different uh, recap of the same stories. Yes, yes. Which is a typical thing, right, in yep. the Gospels? Interesting. Uh, you went from there, and then you started talking about joy and rejoicing, and then you brought up really controversial things. Like, yes, one, I am not afraid of controversy. Let I it mean, be said here. There is controversy. This is going to really, I, I don't want to be anywhere near the church on Sunday when this goes live. Uh, you brought up pumpkin spice lattes. Yes. Um, not a fan. Not a fan. I'm not either. Yeah. It does, the pumpkin's not a flavor. It's I, a cinnamon, guys. What are we talking about? I also don't like um, pumpkin beer. I, I've, uh, yeah. Fruit beer is weird all around. Yeah. Uh, also another very controversial thing you brought up. This is legendary pineapple on pizza. An abomination unto the Lord. Yikes. I can't believe you don't like pumpkin spice lattes and you also don't like pineapple on pizza. I feel like most people will like one of those two things. That's entirely possible. I, I'm okay. I, I like pineapple on pizza. Yeah. Let's do it. Huh. I have suspected as much. Yeah. I'm one of those kind of folks. Yeah. But I also talk about, I, I mean, to be honest, one of the things I talk about is that I don't care for those things, but I'm also trying to get over this idea that my preferences should be everyone's preferences. And so if you like pumpkin spice latte on September 1st, amen, hallelujah. If you want to put your Christmas tree up November 1st, mm. amen, hallelujah. If you like pineapple on your pizza, 
I'm not sharing that pizza with you, but I will applaud you getting pineapple on your pizza. It's about joy. That's what you bring up in the sermon. It's all about joy and bringing joy. You mentioned Seattle and this cool thing that happened there. I'm not even, let's not talk about it. Let's leave it for the sermon. And I think um, you have an image that you're going to put in the sermon video. And then also um, somewhere when this goes, maybe you can even put the link towards the video in the, um, because it's on Vimeo. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. It's a a Mm -hmm. really magical thing that happened in a magical place called Seattle where I used to live (laughs) and I just love it there. Brings me joy just thinking about the city. It's an amazing story. And so that's, I mean, the importance of joy. I mean, there is silly... Although they're not silly. I mean, little things like Halloween decorations and pumpkin spice lattes, but also big things. And that we should seize it. See, if joy comes our way, grab it. Don't apologize. Hold on to it because we need joy. And uh, yeah, joy. Let's do it. So as we look uh, to now, if you're listening to this right after we record it, this will be on September 12th. Mm-hmm. And we're back to two services. Mm-hmm. On Sundays, what time? Huge youth kickoff the night before. Big time, big stuff happening, right? We're back Monday evening Bible studies, midweek Bible studies. um, This choirs. um, It's all the the bells. I bet the bells are back. They are. I think I don't know if they start this Sunday or next Sunday, but they are handbells, adult choirs, children's choirs. It's it's just a really exciting time. It makes me want to put up my Christmas tree early. (laughs) I like decorating on Christmas Eve. I know. We, I remember that from last year, yes. actually. However, I am trying to get over... I mean, if you like decorating November 1st, I celebrate that. Yeah. It's the pineapple on pizza version of decorating. Yeah. Early. Yeah. Um, and I also, there's a mistake in the sermon. Should we point that out? Yeah. Let's point that out for our hardcore listeners. Yes. Um, I mentioned the dowager... I call her the dowager mother from Downton Abbey. She's the dowager countess, I believe. Um, so that's my bad. I'll fix it for Sunday. And I didn't notice because I don't tend to know anything about pop culture for some reason. Like, strangely, I don't like, there's lots of, okay, love pineapple on pizza, dislike, let's go. Uh, the far side, um, Seinfeld, um, all the things, uh, mashed potatoes. You uh, would know nothing butter. about pop culture I, if I didn't tell you. I don't like butter. Um, uh, you don't like butter? Yeah. Who needs Okay. See, so I gotta get it? off my judgment. Yeah, joy. Um, I talk about joy the corn kid and how he is bringing people joy. So much joy. I know. So right. trying you to get off the judgment. Have an amazing and joyous week. And we love talking to you each week on the podcast. <laughs> and we hope you uh, tune in online, in person, at the services, or here on the podcast. And have a great week. Have a joyful week. Let us pray. God of mercy. God of hope, God of joy. As we seek that which is lost, we pray for your presence. As we seek the word that you are speaking to us, guide us, open us, help us, lead us. We ask it in your name. Amen. Our sermon today is based on the lectionary text for today. The sermon series from the summer has completed, and we are now back using the Revised Common Lectionary. The Revised Common Lectionary is a three-year cycle of readings for Sundays. Each Sunday, there is a Hebrew Bible passage, a psalm, a gospel, and an epistle to choose from. And over three years, the thought is that if you read all of them, you will have read a significant part of the Bible. 
And typically for Sundays, we choose one of those readings on which to focus for the sermon, the proclamation of the word. And today, that is from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter, the first 10 verses. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over a sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I suspect that it might come as no surprise to you to find out that when it comes into moving into a new home, I am not terribly relaxed or flexible. I want the boxes unpacked yesterday, if possible. I want pictures on the wall, the drawers filled with what is supposed to be in them. In other words, when moving, I want it to be a home as quickly as possible. Temporary is not a comfortable place for me. When we moved to our home in West Virginia, the movers arrived and Ben and I quickly got to unpacking, getting settled. He started in the living room, I began in the kitchen because there's something important to me about being able to use your own dishes, your own glasses, your own utensils to eat supper together that makes it feel more like home. So I got to unpacking all of the boxes that said kitchen, only I couldn't find the tray of utensils that I knew should be there. No worries, this isn't unusual when you're unpacking your house. Sometimes things get put in different boxes, so I just kept unpacking, kept taking things out of the kitchen boxes. Still, a little starting to get concerned that we weren't finding the utensils because we'd gotten to the end of the kitchen boxes. Still not incredibly unusual that some things will get packed in different places. Packing is like a big Tetris game, and sometimes things are put in different boxes just to take up space. So Ben told me not to worry. Surely the utensils would appear. Only we unpacked all the obvious boxes, and they weren't there. And then we moved to the not-so-obvious boxes. We unpacked all of them. Still no utensils. Then we started going back through things. We started going back through the things we had already unpacked, certain that somewhere in a stack of sweaters or in other books or boxes, there was going to be our tray of forks, knives, and spoons. We couldn't find them. 
I began to question my sanity. Had we ever actually owned a tray of forks, knives, and spoons? Or had I hallucinated that? Because it was nowhere to be found. Ben offered, of course, trying to set me at ease, that it was really okay. We didn't actually need those forks, knives, and spoons immediately. After all, I was the pastor of a church that had a kitchen that had an abundant supply of forks, knives, and spoons we could use in the interim. And after all, we only really needed three. I didn't want those forks, knives, and spoons. I wanted our forks and knives and spoons. It went on for days. We unpacked, we looked, and we relooked, and we couldn't find them. Finally, at my wit's end, we finally agreed we should call our realtor back in Chapel Hill. Would she mind going back in our house and looking? And that's where they were. The movers had left them in the drawer. They arrived in the mail just a few days later. I could finally breathe. I could finally relax. Now I know it's probably foolish to try and talk about the stress of losing something in a move, in a congregation, in a community that has so many members of military families that would laugh at the number of moves my family has made. But it was awful not being able to find them, feeling unsettled, feeling like I could not rest until they were in their place. Have you ever had that experience? when you couldn't find something and you felt like you couldn't let go of looking for that something until you found it? Well, maybe you can relate, as I do, to the woman in Luke chapter 15 who misplaces a coin and cannot rest until she finds it. For her, it is not an expendable coin. It is probably about the value of a drachma, but it is a significant amount of money for her. It is something she needs, something she plans to use. So it's not something she could easily let go of. How does she lose it? Luke doesn't tell us. Jesus doesn't tell us. We do know that it wasn't the coin's fault for being lost. The coin is not at fault here. But neither are we given any indication that this woman has somehow sinned or done something wrong in order to lose the coin. What we feel is not blame for her, but we feel her distress, we feel her anxiety, and we can feel her relief and her joy when she finds the coin. It's a mystery to me then, knowing what we know about the coin and about the woman, why we refer to this parable as the parable of the lost coin. For it's really not a parable about the coin, it's about the woman, who is the God figure here, who searches and finds and celebrates. This parable of the coin, this parable of the woman, is the second in a series of three parables about being lost and found. The one that comes after the coin parable is the parable of the prodigal son. And the first one is what we heard earlier today, the one that's often called the parable of the lost sheep. And while we often link these three parables together, they have very different meanings and significant differences in them. For example, we can relate to the woman losing the coin because it's something she needs. She needs that coin to buy food to sustain her household. But it's not the same for the missing sheep. Here, if the shepherd is the God figure, we know that God is a terrible shepherd in this example. God, or the shepherd, however you want to see that, has allowed the sheep to wander off, which is not really a sin, 
but it means that the sheep was not being provided what it needed. Maybe some water, maybe some better grass, a better field. And then to make it worse, the shepherd then leaves the other 99 sheep vulnerable to the elements, vulnerable to wandering, vulnerable to predators to go look after the one. When Jesus says, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them doesn't go after the one? Well, the answer to that is nobody. Nobody does that. It makes no sense. You don't risk the lives of the 99 for the one. The one is not a significant enough loss that you would do that. We can understand the woman's sensibility in searching. The shepherd is a different story altogether. What they have in common is how they respond when what has been lost is found. The shepherd throws a celebration, a celebration that, to be honest, calling his neighbors and his friends together probably means that he's gonna lose a few more sheep because after all, you need food to celebrate. The woman, too, calls her neighbors and her friends together to celebrate. She likely spends the coin that she has found on this celebration. It's an interesting turn of events. We, I've most often heard this parable and these stories. I've often preached that these are parables about people who move away from God and how we try to bring them back. But today, what if we consider that that isn't the point of these parables at all? What if the point isn't the wandering and the searching, but what we hear at the very beginning of this passage and then what happens at the end? What if these parables aren't at all about being lost and found, but about the importance of joy? What if these are not parables about being lost, but are parables about the importance of joy? I think that makes sense when you consider how we are introduced to these parables. We're being told that all the tax collectors and the sinners are coming to hear Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees, their response is they are grumbling. They're grumbling. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And if the them in this case are the scribes and the Pharisees, that's the one Jesus is telling this parable to. And while there are many differences, it is joy that these parables have in common. And I believe that is not insignificant. We live in a world that has elevated grumbling to an art form, sarcasm, outrage, complaint, justified anger. And I'm not immune to that. When something doesn't make sense to me or doesn't work the way that I think it should work, my fuse is far shorter than I care to admit. Now, lest we think this is a 21st century problem, I call your attention to the verses of Psalm 1. It tells us, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Do we not have that temptation to sit in the seat of scoffers? The scribes and the Pharisees in this parable grumble, they complain, they don't like what's going on. The shepherd and the woman respond to the experiences of their life, which are not necessarily easy experiences, with joy. And not just joy for themselves, joy that they share, joy that they include their communities in as they gather to celebrate. 
And so as we consider these words this day and in the days ahead, I invite you to consider where is your joy? How are you experiencing joy? How are you sharing joy? Being joyful, of course, doesn't mean that there isn't any sorrow, that we don't also have the ability to lament. I believe joy is so important because it is an active, it is an active choice to resist the snark, the grumble, the scoff that brings us down. The Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, longtime friends, got together to write a book about joy. And in it they said, we are fragile creatures. And it is from this weakness, not despite it, that we discover the possibility of true joy. Discovering more, more joy does not, I'm sorry to say, save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we are just more alive, yet as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that ennobles rather than embitters. We have hardship without becoming hard. We have heartbreak without being broken. I believe that's why Jesus is lifting up joy here, why he's telling them this is so important. They did not live in an easy time. The scribes, the Pharisees, the sinners, the tax collectors, all of them were under Roman rule. None of them had true freedom in their lives. There were more difficult times ahead. Jesus was not sugarcoating this but he was telling them that if they were going to survive, they were going to need joy. In other words, as Truvy Jones in Steel Magnolias famously said, laughter through tears is one of my favorite emotions. Friends, where is your joy? How are you experiencing joy? How are you sharing joy? If you ask Joyce Lovely about the best ice cream she's ever eaten in her life, she will tell you with great clarity about the ice cream she ate one day in 1945 at the end of World War II. The last time she'd had ice cream before that was in 1939, before the rationing, before giving up refrigeration, before air raids, before gas masks and bombs hitting her neighbor's homes. But when the war was declared over, she said that at school that afternoon, all 54 of us sat at our desks as our teacher whispered that there was going to be a special treat. She says, I fidgeted with great hope and our teacher placed a small wrapped rectangular bar on each desk. I picked mine up and the cold stung my fingers slightly. Gingerly, I peeled back the layer of paper. A tantalizing frozen substance peeped from the wrapper and hesitantly I took a nibble just as a wave of shouts filled the air. It's ice cream. It's ice cream. Sure enough, I closed my eyes as the pleasurable, smooth, sweet taste melted on my tongue and slid slowly down my throat, leaving its chilled trail behind. As creamy drips stickied my hand, I realized that I would need to eat faster. Finally, the last traces were gone. I love the clarity with which Joyce Lovely talks about that ice cream, the way even decades and decades later, she can clearly remember that moment, what it felt like, what it tasted like. But what struck me most of all in the much larger article she wrote about this event wasn't that this was the first time she had experienced joy during the war, 
but rather that she had cultivated joy throughout of it. She wasn't just writing about one singular moment. She wrote about the way in which they found ways to experience joy, even as the world was crumbling around them. Not joy for the war, but joy in the middle of the war, joy in spite of the war, in reading that she did, in games that they made up, in ways that they adapted. In part, the ice cream she experienced on that day was so very joyful and memorable because she had learned how to live a life of joy throughout those years. She hadn't set it aside to wait for a better day she found ways to grip onto it whenever it came her way. Where are you experiencing joy? How are you sharing joy? Joy like the legacy of Briar Bates, who as she dealt with a terminal cancer diagnosis, insisted that when the time came, her friends would gather not for a funeral, but for a flash mob, a water ballet in a kiddie pool in one of their local parks. A flash mob complete with handmade custom lime green swimsuits, choreography, and bathing caps. And when the time came, some 50 to 75 of her friends leapt into that wading pool for an ankle deep ballet and hundreds others gathered around to celebrate her life as they danced their choreographed dance to happy and princes let's go crazy. They did it not because they weren't missing their friend, not because they weren't completely heartbroken by the loss of her life, but because she had said she wanted the legacy of her life to be for all those that she knew. Do not postpone joy. Don't postpone joy. And so they danced their ballet in ankle deep water. Where is your joy? How are you experiencing it? How are you sharing joy? Personally, I like waiting to decorate from Christmas until very close to Christmas Day. I think that's traditional. I love waiting to do that. And in our family, we only celebrate the birthday on the actual day of the birthday. And I don't think I've ever had a pumpkin spice latte. And I'm okay with that. I don't really crave them any time of the year. And I'll confess that there have been times in my life when I thought everybody should see things the way I see them. They should live their lives the way I thought they should be lived. I no longer feel that way. And I strive now to take a different approach. I strive to be more like the meme that appears this time of year that says, could we without relentlessly criticizing, let people have their pumpkin spice, their avocado toast, their fandoms, their dungeon and dragons, their too early Halloween decorations, and whatever harmless joy they've managed to squeeze out in this time? Can we not let people have whatever joy they are able to claim? I'll add to the list of the things they shared. What about the Corn Kid or Walt Disney World or Hallmark Christmas movies? Or even, even pineapple on pizza. I strive to let people celebrate what they want to celebrate. 
And I say strive intentionally because I wrestle with this. I long for organization like I like organization. I love being clever like the dowager mother in Downton Abbey. I love coming up with a great line. But the older I get, I find the more I want to let that part of me go and instead tell people I love them and be honest when I admire and appreciate them. It's so much easier to be a grumbler. It's so much easier to be a scoffer. The temptation to be clever and sarcastic and outraged is so intense in our world. But I'm trying. I'm trying to be more like Jesus, who I believe is telling us here that we should be better at embracing joy. In the words of Wendell Berry, be joyful though you have considered all the facts. In the words of the poet Liesel Mueller, joy, joy, the sopranos sing, reaching for the shimmering notes while our eyes fill with tears. In the words of William Wordsworth, with an eye made quiet by the power of harmony and the deep power of joy, we see into the life of things. With the deep power of joy, we see into the life of things. In the words of the psalmist, who promises that joy comes in the morning. Friends, where is your joy? Where are you experiencing it? And where are you sharing joy? In the words of the shepherd and the woman, may we know joy and may we all say, rejoice with me. Because that, friends, is where we find the kingdom of God. Alleluia. Amen.
And now I offer these words to you. Holy One, go with us wherever you may lead us. Guide us through the wilderness. Protect us through the storm. Bring us home rejoicing at the wonders you have shown us. Bring us home rejoicing once again unto your door. Alleluia. Amen. Amen.